0: Welcome in to another episode of Home Field Advantage. I hope you're having a great week or weekend, wherever, however, and whenever you may be listening across our great country or our great land. It's February 26th, 2022. My name is Will Hyland and this is Home Field Advantage. I hope again that you are... Settled in listening to this podcast, somewhere warm, somewhere comfy, or maybe you're driving, maybe you're just trying to pass time, and I promise you we'll do our best to uh, fill the next 30 to 45 minutes with the best and most enticing sports talk that you'll hear this week. Um, First off, I want to say we had a great response to our last few episodes, especially the ones we had with Jackson and Kyle. Kyle. So appreciate those guys for coming on. We also had some great reaction to our announcement that uh, Kyle Diesel and myself will be launching our own podcast um, together as part of the Sportland USA Network next month. It will be out around the middle of March, our first pilot episode. So we encourage you all to listen to that. That will be called Filling Up with Kyle Diesel. So we've had some great reaction to some of our um, recent uh, programming. Um, And I also do want to say that, you know, we talk sports here Um, we throughout the week had some topics on the morning advantage that, you know, sort of transcended sports. Um, you know, obviously earlier on in the week, we had this story with Phil Mickelson and then it goes without saying, uh, what has happened over the past few days on the global stage that has impacted the sports world. Um, and that's impacted every part of, uh, uh, life, especially in Europe. So we definitely want to like, you know drive home the point that, you know, we're a sports show, um, we talk about sports, uh, but we're not oblivious to what's going on in the, uh, in the real world out there. Uh, and, you know, I will say a new story broke today about the Red Sox releasing a minor league player uh, after he basically went on some sort of Twitter rampage where he, uh, proceeded to insult every single, uh, race, religion, ethnicity, what what have you, uh, across the globe. So, um, you know, it just goes to show that we might hold athletes to some higher moral standard these days, but then there are guys like this who uh, completely blow that out of the water uh, in an inexcusable way. So, I mean, sports are sports, uh, but at the end of the day, damn, some things, you know, some things you just got to, It's got a nip in the bun, right? Holy cow. So I'm going to let you guys go look that one up for yourself. We're not going to spend too much time on it here. And, uh, you know, basically everything you said was, you know, things I don't want to repeat because they're just so hateful and terrible. And, you know, if you know me, you know that I rag on cancel culture all the time. But, uh, in my opinion, the Red Sox releasing him, that's not cancel culture. Uh, if you, you know, make religious slurs about, essentially about your, uh, team's general manager, then you deserve to lose your job. Uh. Eight days a week. So we'll leave that at that. Um, Today's show is going to be all about the mailbag segment. Uh, We're also going to tease in um, a new segment at the end of uh, the show that I'm going to start to do. Um, I'm not going to announce it until then. Uh, In our business, we call that a tease. Um, But we decided this week to take listener questions because in the past, I feel like I talk about what I want to talk about. I don't talk about um, what is, um, you know, what is on the minds of our listeners, um, and I should do a better job at that as a host of a program. Um, so a lot of times I talk about what's on my mind, um, you know, and Jackson and Josh or Gershon or Cam or Kyle or anyone else who's been on this show uh, does a good job of bringing a different perspective. So I decided to try and um, bring in some. Ex- extra perspective from some of our listeners by uh, introducing the Mailbag segment on Facebook. We've done this in the past, and uh, I'm super glad to bring it back. The way this is going to work is uh, I'm going to try and group the questions by sport genre. Right now, there's only three sports on the docket, uh, and the last one being hockey, and we'll we'll leave the NHL talk for the end uh, because it ties in uh, to the tease that I just mentioned. So, Without further ado, I'll shut up. We'll get into the sports takes. Um, First one is from Brendan uh, up in Toronto. He and I used to write together at Baseball Hot Corner. He's a super, super nice dude. And he's got um, a really diverse palette of sports teams that he likes. I'm pretty sure he's a 49er fan in the NFL. Uh, But of course, being from Toronto, he likes the Blue Jays and the Argonauts up there in the CFL. Um, But then in the Premier League soccer, he likes Leeds United, which I got to say, I think he's the only Leeds United fan I know. Um, Especially since they were only promoted to the Premier League, what, two or three years ago? Uh, Something like that. So good for Brendan. His question is about Leeds, and he wants to know if Leeds will stay in the Premier League. Well, if you look at the table... Uh, the Premier League table, for those of you who don't follow, uh, is unlike anything else in sports, in my opinion, like, it is a weird sort of standings, uh, mechanism where if you're not in the top four, five, or six, it's hard for you to get out of the Premier League and play in other tournaments. Not necessarily get out of the Premier League, but, you know, expand your schedule offering. Um... But if you're in eighteen through twenty, you'll actually get relegated and you'll get dropped down to the uh, European or sorry the English Championship uh, League, which is the tier below the Premier League. So, pretty interesting that Leeds uh, in Brandon's Brandon's question, excuse me, is sixteenth. So they are two spots off of being relegated, Um, and if you look at the way that they've been outscored, and I think at their last four Premier League games, uh, they've been outscored something like 14-0, uh, they gave up six to Liverpool, I think in their last match, and then this morning, they gave, they gave up four to Tottenham, uh, and you know, really, really are hurting in goal differential, I think they have the worst goal differential in the Premier League outside of Norwich, who was in last, so not, not great at all, uh, they, I think they've conceded, 60 goals this year, um, which I think is even more than Norwich and Norwich is last in the, in the prem. So not a great, not a great defensive uh, side there uh, in Leeds. So to get to Brendan's question, I don't know. I'm going to have to look at their fixtures right now. Their, their road ahead is not great. Um, They still have to play Chelsea and Arsenal and Man City. Uh, I think three out of four weeks, they play those sides. Uh, and you know, Man City's first in the uh, in the Premier League, uh, Chelsea's I think third or second, uh, I think third, I think Liverpool's second, uh, and then Arsenal's hanging around in fourth or fifth depending on the day, so they're going to have to play some top clubs in the league uh, in all during that mid to early April stretch, so that's going to be tough. They might be able to pick up some points against somebody like Norwich or Southampton, Watford, Who they play in about a month or so, um, maybe against Aston Villa, you know, but, you know, they're gonna go on the road to Leicester at King Power Stadium. That's a tough place to play. Then they're gonna go uh, to Molyneux and play Wolves, I guess. Um, So they have a tough schedule out of them. Um, And because of that, um, you know, they are lucky that they get Chelsea and Man City at home, but I mean, you can't bank on taking any more than a point away from those sides, in my opinion. So, yeah, Leeds, I, I don't see the future looking bright for them this season. I don't think they're going to, like, find their way out of, uh, you know, the, the bottom five. But they might be able to keep their way out of the bottom three. So, for that reason, and especially how dreadful um, uh, the Norwiches of the world and the uh, Watfords of the world have been. Um, you know, Burnley, they've been able to steal some points away uh, from some squads across England, including you know my side, uh, Tottenham. So I think Burnley and Everton might find their way above Leeds. I mean, the point structure is pretty tight right now. I mean, you're looking at Brentford uh, with 24 points at 15th, Newcastle at 14th with 25. And then, you know, you can drop all the way down and uh, Watford at 19th. Nine- at 19th as 19 points. So they're all kind of separated within a game or two. So it could be pretty close. But I guess to answer Brendan's question. Uh, I think they'll stay in the Premier League. But it's going to really take them cleaning up on some of those lower tier opponents. All right. Josh Ricker. Also a friend of the show. He's been on the program before. I've been on his show as well. He has a great podcast. Uh, out now with some other guys from Maine. Where they talk about this stuff a lot more eloquently than I can. Uh, but he wants to know how long will Antonio Conte last at Tottenham as their manager. Now, again, this is my club, so I'm going to try and sound as educated as I can about the subject. But just to put it in perspective, since I started following the Premier League, I'd say maybe early 2019, I started following it um, sort of after the World Cup of 2018, I started playing FIFA, started getting into it. Like I always sort of was magnetized toward it in a way because I, you know, I'm a believer that more sports is is good sports. Like the more sports you like, the better uh, your fandom is. Like, you know, some of these American soccer fans who hate the NFL or some of these NFL fans who think the NPL sucks. Uh, Like I get it, you're tribal, but... I mean, the same thing is with NBA, NHL people. Like, I just find that the more sports you follow, the better your life is. So, I started following the Prem in like early 2019. I didn't really have a club. um, But the manager of Tottenham at the time was this guy named Mauricio Pochettino. All right. So, he brings them on this Cinderella story all the way to the Champions League final. Uh, They play Liverpool, they lose to Liverpool. You know, then they go. You know, they bring back pretty much the same roster uh, in twenty nineteen. Uh, he gets off to a bad start. They sack him, uh, which is the bridge term for firing somebody. Uh, then they bring in this guy Jose Mourinho, who's such a. Uh, Josh called him a heel of the sport. Uh, that's pretty much his personality. Uh, I liked him. He really drew me to Tottenham because I was on the I was on the fringe of either liking like Liverpool or Arsenal or. Chelsea or Tottenham. I I knew I didn't want to like one of the Manchester um, teams, so I really you know drew myself to either you know uh, uh, somebody that liked liked a club in London or liked a club in Merseyside. But I eventually found Tottenham uh, because of Jose and because of the uh, All or Nothing documentary that was on in uh, sorry on Amazon. So that's that's what drew me to Tottenham. But this all gets to Antonio Conte being that. Jose Mourinho did not last long at Tottenham. Uh, I think I became a Tottenham fan, so to speak, like, sorry, uh, like early to mid-2020. Jose Mourinho was out of there by April 2021. Uh, So he was a manager for less than 18 months. All right, so then they bring in this guy, Nuno Espirito Santo, basically your quintessential vanilla football coach. Like, he's not hot, he's not cold, he's just sort of nobody, like... He just doesn't do anything crazy tactically. He's not really charismatic. If you think about some of the best uh, football managers around the world, they tend to be, I mean, you can go even as close to home as somebody like Bruce Arena, right? Like somebody who's sort of a pragmatist and somebody who uh, thinks outside the box and is a creator. Like, that's not who Nuno was. So Tottenham, they get off to a bad start. And then Antonio Conte comes in. And Antonio Conte is seen by Spurs fans as like the savior of the club. He's seen as somebody who is brilliant, considered one of the best managers in all of uh, football, uh, maybe up there with somebody like Jurgen Klopp or Pep, uh, right? Uh, Especially coming back to the Premier League after the success that he had with Chelsea, people were all about Antonio Conte. All right. But then, you know, after the honeymoon phase started to wear off, like last month or so, you know, Spurs had a fantastic win against Leicester City. People thought, oh my gosh, Spurs, they're on their way uh, to the top four. They've got all these easy fixtures, quote-unquote, up ahead. Uh, They end up losing to, um, if I'm not mistaken, they lose to Chelsea. Then they lose to uh, Brentford, not Brentford, um, Southampton. They lose to Wolves. Um, then they have this extraordinary win a week ago against Manchester City, only to drop to Burnley, who I just mentioned being at the bottom of the standings. So things are getting really dicey for Antonio Conte, and he basically had a tantrum uh, in front of the uh, press the other day. And uh, there's been also been some rumors that he might not be jiving well with the management at Spurs. So, I guess long story short, just to give you the background on why Josh is asking that question, um, I think Conte sticks around for his full contract. Um, And here's why. I think Conte, despite what's happened, is so uber popular among Tottenham fans at N17 and across the globe because of the fact that fans uh, and supporters of the club look to Antonio Conte as being the glue, number one, between Harry Kane, their star striker, and management. Because another wrinkle in this timeline that I just laid out is that Harry Kane wanted to get sold uh, to Manchester City last summer and didn't get the transfer because club owner Daniel Levy didn't want to sell him. So I think right now, Kane is invested because he's playing for Antonio Conte, one of the brilliant football managers in all of the world. So right now, I think Conte is the glue to keep Kane. And Kane is the glue to keep eyes and feelings and thoughts on Spurs. If Spurs don't have Harry Kane, no matter how much money they have, no matter how much of an awesome training ground or stadium that they have, Um, some fans around the world, myself included a lot of American fans, uh, probably, might not be as excited about a team like Tottenham, despite the fact that somebody like Heung-Min Son or uh, Hugo Lloris, I mean, they're some of the best in the world at their positions. It's just hard to get excited about a club without a star striker or a star offensive forward. I mean, you look around the world some of the popu- most popular players in all of the world, whether that be uh, you know, Kylian Mbappe or Rob Lundowski or Mo Salah or really anybody in global football right now who is popular as an offensive playmaker, and that's what Harry Kane is. So right now, Conte is the glue to keep those things together. So I think he lasts a length- at least the length of his contract because Tottenham will not sack him unless it's clear that they're losing Kane in the process. Like I think one of the reasons they lost uh, um, Jose is because Jose Mourinho and the players never got along. I think the players respond to Antonio Conte. I think somebody like Harry Winks, who was basically in witness protection program uh, for uh, the whole tenure of Nuno and Jose will benefit from somebody like Antonio Conte... who's done nothing but praise him since he came here. I think Conte is getting the best out of some of these fringe players... like Eric Dyer or Sexton Young... or any of these guys who were sort of on the fringe with Nuno or Jose. Um, So I think people really love Antonio Conte. I do think, though, that Tottenham is grooming Ryan Mason... to eventually one day be the manager when Conte inevitably does leave, um, because he is a serial winner. He will win till it's clear that he can't win with that club anymore. Um, and I think what Conte doesn't care about is not being in Europe right now. Uh, I think Conte, if you give him a full season with this Premier League side, I think he can do extraordinary things. We saw what he did with Chelsea after they were really considered... Uh, you know, down for the count. Conte comes in one season, they're Premier League champs. So I can see that happening. Um, maybe that's best case scenario, right? I mean, that that it truly is best case scenario is you keep Kane, you keep Son, you keep the band together, you keep Antonio Conte, and then come the summer transfer window. Which another reason why they're going to keep him is because they think his he can leverage his relationships around Europe. Uh, to get better players in and a larger transfer window. I think all of that he'll stay, um, especially if he can, again, leverage his position with all those guys to have a a position going forward of strength in the club, uh, where he truly believes, like let's say best case scenario is they get into top four this year, they're in the Champions League next year, they're competing for the Prem, they might not be as good as Liverpool or Man City, no one's saying that. Um, But I think if people can see that there's improvement uh, and that there's a window to win, then he'll stick around. Uh, I guess the ultimate uh, reason for his downfall could be that he might, he might not get along with Levy any longer. He might uh, lose the locker room. We'll see. Um, But by and large, I think Conte is here to stay at least for the remainder of his contract. Although Josh did ask me that about Jose Mourinho last year and, uh, I was dead wrong so I could be dead wrong I hope I'm not look Spurs could win the FA Cup that's another thing people always talk about Spurs not winning a trophy that's valid Uh, I'm a recent fan so it doesn't sting as much when people say that but I mean if they win the FA Cup and they're in the top four and they're competing for the champion in the Champions League next year and competing for the Premier League again I think Conte's done his job and I think he'll stick around Alright, we're going to switch gears here and talk MLB real quick before we merge into uh, the uh, NHL talk toward the end of the program. But first, I want to tell you quickly again about what we have coming up here at Home Field Pod. So as I mentioned at the outset, we have a ton of cool stuff coming up. We'll have our new pod with uh, Kyle Diesel called Filling Up with Kyle Diesel. That will be out in about two and a half weeks so, we're really looking forward to recording that pilot episode for you all. Don't worry, this show's not going anywhere. My morning show isn't going anywhere for the time being. Homefield Advantage is just expanding as part of the Sportland USA network with a sister pod, so we're super excited about that. You can also read any of our content that we have over at Sportland USA. Occasionally, I tweet it out, so you can follow us there at Sportland USA and follow us on Twitter at Homefield Pod and on Instagram at Homefield Pod. Encourage you to like, share, and subscribe to this podcast. We're having a ton of fun doing this all, uh, including all our listeners in the pod. Um, and you know, you might notice that our previous two segments. I mean, I spent fifteen minutes talking about Premier League football. Uh, if you told me that two years ago, I would have said you were crazy. Uh, that's just another example of why uh, I really enjoy this podcast and having all the listeners contribute is. It allows me to grow my fandom. It allows me to become a better podcaster. It Allows me to create. Better content for you guys, um, and and you guys really, as the listeners, help me uh, create create this content um, by submitting uh, questions and contributing and just talking to me throughout the week about sports. You know, occasionally I'll DM somebody like Jackson, or you know, I'll have a chat with uh, Brody and or with Josh about all these different sports, and uh, you know, I think that's I think that's what keeps uh, keeps us interested. Alright, speaking of interesting topics, moving on here. Our next question comes from Dan. Dan Stadden, former co-host of mine when we did our pod at Colby Sawyer, went back in the day. Dan wants to know, how do you think talks between MLB and the Players Association, pending Monday's result, or lack thereof, will affect the game as well as the attitudes between the organizations in the near future? That is a great question, Dan, and here's why that's such a great question, because... The attitudes between the two towards each other has been piss poor for years. It's just really coming to a head now because you know you they had been operating at, you know, a labor status quo, for lack of a better term, for several years. Uh, but we saw during the COVID pandemic in the shortened season of 2020 that there were tensions building between the two sides about the future of the game. And the uh, collective bargaining agreement. So I think that if the talks go worse on Monday, uh, and you know we've seen some player reaction, whether it be from somebody like uh, uh, Jack Flaherty or some other pitchers have really been the outspoken ones. Um, we'll see what we'll see what happens. Um, but you know if the talks go poorly on Monday, um, then I do not I do not think. That um, games that spring training games will happen any earlier than March, um, than uh, March twenty first at this point. Uh, you know I I know that they said they're basically canceling through March eighth. Uh, I don't think anything. We're not looking at spring training start until at least mid to late March. Um, you know an opening day was supposed to be the thirty first. There's no way in hell that starts on time. Uh, we're probably looking at a you know, beginning of May start here, which is just brutal. Um, You know, I I don't know what about, what about the baseball lockout is so hard. Um, You know, I'm not a labor lawyer. uh, I'm not a executive. uh, I'm not a union member, right? Like I'm not a pro baseball player. I'm not an agent. I'm not anything but a podcast host and, you know, all around knockabout. But I will say that, look, I mean, Dan, your question, your question speaks to a bigger argument. Uh, or a bigger issue, I should say, is that these uh, this relationship between the union and the league and the owners, uh, there's going to be some irreparable uh, there's going to be some irreparable damage done uh, to the psyche of the two and the relationships that they have um, because of all the infighting. You can go all the way back to A month ago, when the uh, I think the league rejected the use of a federal arbiter, uh, so I mean, there's just been mudslinging for, for weeks. Um, but on the flip side, if things go well on Monday, uh, then I think that they're still going to hold that contempt for each other, but you know, it's sort of like uh, a divorced. Mother and father who have shared custody, uh, who but who hates being around each other, um, you know. I think maybe you know if they get divorced when the kids five, maybe they still sit together at the kids' high school reunion thirteen years later. Um, but in you know they're not they're not you know sharing a car on their way to the, their kids' uh, seventh birthday if you know what I mean. So I think that's the that analogy I think speaks to the relationship going forward. If they're able to salvage something and the season's gonna start on time, great. But they're not gonna be doing any cartwheels or bringing each other out for beers anytime soon, uh, with the way that this is going. At least from what I understand in the press. Um, so I think going forward, Dan. Uh, time will tell. Um, but my my take has and was and has been all along, that it. I wasn't gonna get worried until February. It's now February twenty sixth. March 1st is Tuesday. You know, that's unofficially the start of spring, in my opinion. Um, So, look, we've got a long way to go. And if there's not a deal done by St. Patrick's Day, then I'm worried it might extend far beyond uh, that uh, deadline that I was worried about. All right, we're going to switch gears here. Talk hockey. We've got three quick hockey questions. Uh well, Brody's Birdie asked two. Uh, then Jack asked one. Brody's a great friend of the show. Um uh, I think he's basically asking a big picture question about the Bruins playoff push. Um so I mean I'll read out the whole thing. That way everyone gets where I'm going with this, but Brody wants to know what are the Bruins playoff prospects? How deep do you think they'll go? What moves do you see them making for the deadline? What's the current state of their team? you trade Marchand or Bergeron and look toward the future or gear up for one last big push? Alright, so I'll start with the last one. There's absolutely no way you trade Marchand or Bergeron. If those guys don't retire as a member of the Boston Bruins, um, that will be a disgrace. Uh, you looked at what happened with Zidane Chara. I think it was a disgrace that he was not uh, retiring as a member of the Bruins. Um, they could still, at this point, honestly use him. I really do think they could still use a guy like Chara. Call me crazy. I mean, the nerds will come at me with his Corsi stats and all that. But anyway, not going to get on a tangent. But they're not going to let Marciana Bergeron retire uh, as a member of the team, not the Bruins. Um, now, I used to think that about Tom Brady. I used to think that about David Krejci. I used to think that about Paul Pierce. Although, I guess Paul Pierce sort of retired a Celtic. Um, but, I mean, Paul Pierce went on to play with, what, the Nets and the Wizards or something like that? I mean, come on. So, when you look, when I look at Marcian or Bergeron, um, no way I think they should trade those guys at all. I think as long as those guys are on the team, you go you go for it. I mean, as long as Brad Marchand and Patrice Bergeron are a member of the Boston Bruins, uh, you're a team that can compete for the playoffs, uh, their leadership in... Is that good? Um, The way that they can command a dressing room is that good? Um, And let's not forget, they still have Charlie McAvoy, David Pasternak, Taylor Hall. I mean, Matt Grizzlick even. I mean, these are guys who are pros, who have been in the league. Um, This is still a veteran group, which has uh, a ceiling, in my opinion, that still allows them to compete for a Stanley Cup. Are they a favorite? or a top-tier contender, absolutely not, but they're sealing with those guys. As long as an opponent comes spring, sees in a seven-game series, sees somebody like Brad Marchand or Patrice Bergeron on the other side of the ice, um, then they're then they're a for, still a force to be reckoned with. Again, that's not even including somebody like Charlie McAvoy, who in my opinion is top-five defenseman in the Eastern Conference. Um, so yeah, as long as those guys are around, we're looking at a playoff push. Now, in terms of what their playoff prospects should be, I think they should try and... Uh, now, it, look, I know the East is way better this year than it has been in the past. No doubt about it. But, you know, when I look around the East, I still think that there's an opportunity for them to excel In out of the first round. They could beat a team like Florida. Right now, they're slated to face off against Carolina. I don't love that matchup. Carolina's whipped their ass three times. Um... But if the Bruins are up against Florida, Florida, despite how dominant they've been in the regular season the past couple of years, they can't seem to get it done. In the postseason, I feel the same thing about the Maple Leafs. The only team that scares me immediately would be Carolina or, um, or the uh, Tampa Bay Lightning. I am not necessarily as worried about somebody like the, the Pittsburghs of the world or the Washingtons of the world or the Rangers of the world because... Boston's played pretty well against them this year. A lot of times without their best players, or um, you know, without without all their uh, players healthy. So if that's the case, I look at you know I really look at those. What's your first start matchup gonna be? Um, I in in terms of how deep I think they'll go. Uh, I think their prospects should be. They should go. They should go for the cup. I mean, let's let's be real. What I just said about Marcian and Bergeron is absolutely right. Uh, I mean, as long as those guys are on the team, you have to go for the Stanley Cup. I mean, I'm old enough to remember, what, what was it, three years ago? We all got our hearts broken, Bruins fans. Uh, as long as that taste is still in their mouths, which I believe it is, especially for guys like Charlie McAvoy or Matt Grizzlick, who were relatively younger at the time, right? David Pasternak. I mean, you're going to be itching for that the rest of your career. So I think if you can have two Hall of Fame guys like Brad Marchand and Patrice Bergeron still around... You gotta go for it. In terms of moves at the deadline, I have no idea. It would be great for them to go after somebody like, um, you know, uh, the the guy out there in uh, in Calgary, Sean Monahan. Although I, they're so good, I don't think he's gonna get dealt. Jared McCann, his name's been floated around. So is Tomas Hertl. They're playing San Jose tonight. We'll see. We'll get we'll get a look at Tomas Hertl. Uh, people have talked a lot about Claude Giroux. I like Claude Giroux. Claude Giroux would be awesome. I think the Bruins really need a depth at center. Um, you know whether that's Hurdle, whether that's who I think plays the wing. It could be Philip Forsberg who plays the wing. Um, you know, there's a ton of names out there, but I think they need a depth defenseman on the, particularly a right shot defenseman, and I think they need a, I think they need a center on depth of some kind. Now that's no knock on Charlie Coyle or Eric Collar or Tomas Nosek, but, I mean, David Krejci ain't walking through that door, he isn't. Uh, I wish he was. Uh, then you are again looking at a team that's uh, even more prepared to win a Stanley Cup. Um, and let's not rule that out either. He could come out of retirement, clear waivers, and end up uh, with the Bruins. Um, but I think in terms of if they're going to trade for somebody, I'm not on. I'm not in on Chickren. I don't want them to go all out for uh, Chickren. I could see them going for somebody like Nick Letty or Scott Mayfield from New York Islanders. Um, if I was the Bruins, though... I would also entertain the thought of maybe going to try and trying to get Phil Kessel um, to be that first line right wing alongside Marshan Bergeron. Um. So there's a lot of names you can go out and get. I you know I would prefer a second or third line center and then a depth defenseman. Uh, but we'll see what happens. Brody also wants to know who I think the Vesna winner will be. All right. Uh, that's going to be pretty quick, and it's in my opinion, it's not even close. Well, I should say, it's a two-horse race in my opinion. I think it's a two-horse race between Jacob Markstrom of Calgary and Igor Shostyorkin of New York Rangers. All right, They both have really strong goals against averages, really strong save percentages, really good wins, loss records. I think right now the clubhouse favorite is, uh, no doubt about it, uh, Shostyorkin from New York Rangers. Um, so for that reason, I'm going to go with Shostyorkin uh, as being the Vezina winner, although I wouldn't be surprised. If somebody like Freddie Anderson or Jacob Markstrom or the kid out in uh, St. Louis, uh, Huso, uh, if he ends up winning, uh, I wouldn't be surprised at all. But I think I think that's who we're looking at so far. Um, you know, the Canadian homers are certainly going to go for Tristan Jari because he's one of their countrymen, or for Jack Campbell because he plays for the Maple Leafs. Um, but uh, by and large, I'm looking at i uh, I'm looking at York uh, and It's going to be funny to see how many votes somebody like. Darcy Kemper gets out in Colorado just because he's on a good team. All right, last question before we get to the new segment here and start to wrap up. Um, Jack Alisi, shout out Kobe Sora Hockey. He wants to know if what I think of Connor McDavid's future in Edmonton and if they'll miss the playoffs this year. All right, so we're going to do a standings watch just like I did with the Premier League to open out um, the, the show. So if you look at the standings in the West... All right. I see that right now the Oilers are hanging on to the four spot um, in their division, which puts them in contention for a wild card, if I'm not mistaken. So I am bullish on the uh, Oilers being in the playoffs simply because of how good they are. Um, in terms of you know, at the front of their team with Conor McDavid as uh Jack mentioned and of course the uh of course the others crowd I'm sorry I'm looking at standings. has got distracted but you know you look at the other crowd and you've still got Leon Sally you know, Barry and all those guys up there. They're gonna be a good they're gonna be a club good club for a while. Uh, I know Oilers fans there's a ton of pressure on that team. Uh, Calgary's also good which adds added pressure. Uh Right now, Calgary's first in the Pacific. If I'm not mistaken, they're even above. They're even above uh, LA and Vegas at the moment. Um, so I think the I think the Flames are still the team to beat in that division, as of now. Um, you know, but I'm looking. I'm looking at the wild card, and they're holding on. Uh, they have two the Oilers. That is, they have two points on Dallas. Uh, but that's with a two point. Um, sorry, that's with a game in hand. Then they have also two points on. Anaheim, who's started to fall a little bit. So uh, what's crazy to me, is that Vancouver, who might be selling, that's a team that we talked about, that we sorry, that we didn't talk about when we were talking about trades. Uh, they could certainly offload a guy like Brock Besser or uh, their other forward there, whose name is escaping me. Uh, but they're still somehow in the playoff hunt. So look, I'm thinking Edmonton, as long as they're around, at the end of the year, they're, they're forced to make the playoffs still. As far as McDavid's future in Edmonton, um, I think of all the high end talent, sorry, I'm stretching here, of all the high end talent that that squad has brought in over the last decade or so, he's clearly the best, right? Like, he's better than Ryan Nugent Hopkins, he's better than Taylor Hall. Um, You know, he's the best player in the world for a reason. I called him Leo Messi on skates earlier this fall for a reason. He's going to be a factor forever. Uh, So I think they're going to do everything possible to hold on to him because as long as he is there, they are a playoff contender. Uh, But to me, I just think they need to build they just need to build a nucleus around him. And they have, They look, they have the pieces. I mean, you look around Nurse, right? Um, they've got uh, the defenseman Barry there. They've got Dreisaitl. They've got uh, some other some other guys um, whose names are escaping me, of course, right when I need them. Uh, like the kid who played up at UMaine, who I like, I forget his name. Oh, Devin Shore. Yeah, they've got Devin Shore. So they've got really good depth up the middle. Um, you know, you've got Nugent Hopkins playing on their second line. I mean, I mean there's a lot of... There's a lot of uh, future there in front of them if they can keep McDavid around. Um, they've got a brand new arena or like a five year old arena at least, you know. So they have all the tools in place uh, to really be a factor in the NHL for a long time. Uh, they just really have to push and really have to push. You saw how good they were last year and they fell flat. Um, you know, they're they're still a team um, that again has pieces around them and can make a push no matter what. So. I think his future at Edmonton uh, is strong, uh, as long as they're able to surround him with enough talent to be competitive each and every year. Uh, that seems like it's a, it's a common, it's a common refrain throughout sports. Right, we we're just talking about it with Harry Kane and Tottenham early on in the show in the soccer world. You know when you got a superstar, you got to do everything you can to keep him in town. All right. Now speaking of Connor McDavid, this is what we call a segue. All right. And Connor McDavid was the number one overall pick in the 2015 NHL Draft. And you guys are probably telling me, Will, what's so special about the 2015 NHL Draft? Well, the 2015 NHL Draft is the topic of our brand new segment called the Time Capsule. So, once a week, once every other week, depends on on if I'm going to try and weave in a daily cancellation into the show... But we are going to have a new segment where we look back at a team, a draft, a trade, a series, a game across any sport, any time in the past, preferably probably pre-2018 or so. Like old enough so that maybe we forgot about it, Uh, but not too old. I don't think we're going to go back like pre-1970 for example Uh, We might even just stick in my lifetime, so in the 90s, 2000s, 2010s, and now 20s. But we're going to call it the time capsule. All right, so the 2015 NHL draft is the topic of the first time capsule. All right, now what I like about this is the eligibility for the 2015 NHL draft was anybody born between January 1st, 1995 and September 15th, 1997. All right, which is funny because... If I was a pro hockey stud, this probably would have been the draft that I was drafted in. I would have been on the older side. Maybe I would have been in the 2013 or fourteen draft. But I look at a guy like Connor McDavid, who's my age. And so I'm saying, okay, maybe I would have been in the same draft as him. All right, But if you look at the 2015 draft, 2015, also the year I graduated high school. And started college. So a a warm place in my heart. That is the subject of our time capsule. Because it is one of the most stacked drafts that I can remember in any sport. Alright. I'm trying not to be a prisoner of the moment here. But it relates to the Bruins and Brody's question in one key way. Alright. The Bruins had three consecutive first round picks that year. One... That they got from the Kings in the trade um, that sent M- uh, Milan Lucic uh, to uh, Calgary. Sorry, to Milan Lucic went to LA. All right, and the Bruins got Colin Miller in a first round pick in exchange for Milan Lucic. All right, they also traded Dougie Hamilton to Calgary and got another pick from the Flames. And then they had their own pick because they were middle-of-the-road team in 2015. So they had three first-round picks in the 2015 draft. 13, 14, 15 overall. All consecutive. And here's who they picked. Jakob Zboril. Okay, he's alright. He's a middle-of-the-road, bottom-four uh, bottom defenseman, in my opinion, uh, at the NHL level. And uh, he's okay, all right? Then they went and got Jake DeBrusque. All right, we've talked about Jake DeBrusque. Uber potential. Could he easily go somewhere besides Boston and become like a 30-year-old scorer. And then they got Zach Seneshin, who, for all intents and purposes, hasn't sniffed the NHL. But that's not the story of this draft. As I said, stacked draft. Started off with Connor McDavid, who we just talked about, all right? Probably one of the most can't-miss prospects of my lifetime. All in any sport, all right. He goes number one overall. Jack Eichel goes number two overall to Buffalo. He he eventually has now been traded to the Vegas Golden Knights. Dylan Strom goes third overall to the Arizona Coyotes. Great player. Mitch Marner goes number four to the Maple Leafs. Noah Hannafin goes five to the uh, Carolina. Hurricanes, he's now playing for the Flames though, uh, Pavel Zaka goes to the Devils, Ivan Provorov goes to the Flyers, Zach Wrenski goes to the Blue Jackets, he's one of the best defensemen in the game at this point, so that was a great pick, uh, Timo Meyer goes to the Sharks, Miko Ratnin goes to the Avalanche, he's one of the best defensemen in the league now, so it's just a stacked draft, alright, then you get to the Bruins picks, somewhat of a whiff, and that's being nice, although let's be honest, it was an extreme whiff. Considering that 16 is Matt Barzell, one of the best two-way centers in the Eastern Conference. If the Bruins had Matt Barzell, they'd be a Stanley Cup contender. If the Bruins had Kyle Connor, who went number 17 overall, they'd have they probably would have never traded for Taylor Hall. They would have had a guy to play on Krejci's left. Alright. Uh, Kyle Connor, plays for the Winnipeg Jets. Great talent. He was taken 17 overall. Thomas Chabot from the Ottawa Senators taken 18th overall. He would have been a great defensive pairing. uh, Either opposite McAvoy if he was a left shot. I don't know if he is or not. Or he could have been a second pairing. Uh, That would have been a really good uh, penalty killer to have on the team. All right. Then we've got Evgeny Sveshnikov. Not to be uh, confused with his older brother, Andre Um then you had Joel Eriksson-Eck, great player. He played for the Minnesota Wild. You had Ilya Samsonov, plays for, I believe, the Washington Capitals. Um, he's, he uh, spent, uh, shares time with Vitek Vanacek. Then you had Brock uh, Besser, who I mentioned earlier, go to the Vancouver Canucks at 23. Great player. If the Bruins had Brock Besser... They wouldn't need to go trade for Phil Kessel or Phil Forsberg or Brock Besser this year, as I said, because they would have already had him. All right. Travis Konechny at 24. Again, would not need to go out and get a top six forward at the trading deadline this year if you had Travis Konechny on your team or Brock Besser. But what do I know? You wouldn't need to go get somebody like Claude Giroux if you had Matt Barzell. But, all right. Then we go down the list. You've got Jacob Larson. You've got Anthony Bolivier. Uh, you've got, whose name I probably just butchered because my French is not great. Um, so yeah, you had a lot of players there. But to me, the steal of the draft came at 35 overall in the second round. That was Sebastian Ajo. Drafted 35th overall to Carolina. He's one of the best forwards in the game now. Crazy. Crazy, crazy, crazy that he was in the second round of that draft. But, you know, you go on. Mackenzie Blackwood, good goalie now for the um, Devils. He was taken 42nd. Uh, Brandon Carlo, who the Bruins drafted 37th overall, has been great. Um, had to think maybe if Aho was available at thirty seven, the Bruins would have taken him. But maybe if they liked him that much, they would have taken him in one of their first three picks. Now I like Brandon Carlo, but would you have rather have Brandon Carlo or, um, you know, Thomas Chabot? You know, would you rather have Ryan Lindgren or Brandon Carlo? So I mean, over time, I think would you rather have uh, Jakob Zaborl or Thomas Shabot? <laughs> would you rather have? Uh, would you rather have um, Jake DeBrusk or Kyle Connor i mean the bruins whiffed on that draft um but i mean you just go through this draft and everywhere you look is uh, a great um you know a great uh great talent i mean the the bruins also drafted somebody by the name of Jacob Forsbacka Carlson in the 2015 draft in the second round who i don't even think plays in the nhl anymore I think he plays in the Swedish league. So, the Bruins whiffed big time in that draft. They did have a ton of capital now that I'm looking through. I mean, they had three picks in each round. Because they ended up taking... They ended up taking uh, Jeremy Lozon in that draft too. So, damn. Think about all that they could have... All that they could have done with that draft. Wow. They got a first and a second for Dougie Hamilton. And all they had to show for it was. Jeremy Lozon. Jacob for Carlson. And uh, Zach Sension. Who is a bust. Who wants to get traded. So bad draft. But 2015 was a fun year. It was a good draft. And so therefore I'm going with it. All right, I hope you liked that. We'll have some more of that segment in future episodes. I think it's a fun one, especially when we do a mailbag. That's going to do it for this episode of Home Field Advantage. If you've listened this far, thank you. hope you enjoyed the program. It was fun. I love taking listener questions. It's a great time. I think we've got a ton of good stuff coming up here. Um, if you liked this, uh, please like, share, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, We'll try and do this more often, especially during the NFL offseason. You know, baseball ain't going to start anytime soon. Uh, We'll be back on Monday with our next episode of The Morning Advantage live on IGTV. Then we'll be back next weekend, of course, probably on Sunday afternoon, maybe Friday night, who knows, Um, to be determined with our next episode of Home Field Advantage, but I hope you enjoyed the program. As I said, uh, we'd love to hear what you th- hear what you thought. Drop a comment um, on our review uh, page on Apple or Spotify. That would be awesome. Um, but I hope you all have a safe, happy, healthy rest of your week. Um, and until next time, my name is Will Highland, and you've been listening to Home Field Advantage for February twenty sixth, two thousand twenty two. If you liked this podcast, please subscribe on your favorite provider, including Spotify, Apple, and Google Podcasts. Also, keep an eye out on Instagram, at HomeFieldPod, for Season 2, of The Morning Advantage, with new episodes live on IGTV every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at 7 a.m. Eastern, with playback available anytime on demand. HomeField Advantage and The Morning Advantage are presented by Sportland USA, and the opinions shared on them do not reflect those of any other company outlet person or entity.